<clears throat> I do this from time to time. Those of you that have been in the class for a while, uh, you, you know we have moments like this periodically where it just doesn't make sense to continue forward in that particular thing. And Romans 4 is actually beautiful, and I love it. So if we end up there, fantastic. But if not, that's fine too, so long as we're walking in step with the Spirit. So I'm going to open it up. What's on your mind? What are you thinking about? doesn't have to be related to this class, although, I mean, that's fine too. If there's something that I've said that you have questions about, you feel free to ask. Uh, just a minute, Preston. Um, <laughs> or just something you've been thinking about, praying about, or not praying about that's on your mind. It doesn't matter. Go ahead, Preston. Yeah, so the only thing I remember <clears throat> that I like never really looked up on my own, um, what is the unforgiveness of? I never, I never knew that. I never knew there was such a thing. Well, that's a, that's a big question. We should pull open the scripture where Jesus talks about it so that we can be um, uh, the short answer is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Um, let's find where, and I don't know, to be honest, where Jesus talks about it. There's only one verse that uh, where, where Jesus mentions it. Uh, does anybody know where it is? Try and remember what conversation it was in. That's true. God bless Google. Mark 28 through 29? Mark 28. Yeah, that's what I'm on. Okay, three. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. There's more than one place, although they're probably both describing the same reality. All right. So here's our, that's interesting. Um, our context, this is immediately after the choosing of the 12 apostles. Um, he, and it says, And Jesus came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by the devil. And he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan, he says. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. How many of you have heard this 
like in you know spiritual warfare moments we bind the strong man that kind of a thing that's this is the verse where it comes from jesus was not telling us that in prayer we should quote unquote bind the strong man he was not speaking of a specific demon he was using this is a a metaphor that if you break into a into a house in which a strong man lives you better make sure that that strong man isn't free to stop you from taking. Okay, so, yeah, sure, that's what's going on. <clears throat> the point is, these people were saying that Jesus was of the devil and that the things he was doing were of the devil. And Jesus says, first of all, it's not possible for me to fight the devil with the devil's power because that would be pointless. It wouldn't work. Stupid. But second, truly I say to you, verse 28, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter will, will also be forgiven, is his point. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So the point is, Jesus knows that these people that are saying of him, he has an unclean spirit, are actually aware of the truth that he is from God. But they are saying to themselves and to others, that's not God, that's the enemy. And he was saying, you need to be really, really careful. Because if you continually reject the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking and call it the work of the flesh or call it the work of the enemy over and over again, every time you reject the voice of the Holy Spirit, you are callousing your heart just a little bit more. Remember, Jesus did not right here say they had committed the unforgivable sin. That is not what he said. It's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you're rejecting it and calling it the work of the enemy. You're in danger. And every time the Holy Spirit speaks and you reject it, you are callousing your heart one more time, hardening your heart just a little bit more. Every time you do that, you are inching yourself to the place where you will have fully committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. In other words, you will not be able to hear his voice anymore. Okay? You can get to the place. Reject the voice of the Spirit often enough, and you can get to the place where you are no longer capable of hearing his voice. And in that, you cannot find forgiveness. Why? Because the only way to find forgiveness is to respond to the Holy Spirit with repentance and faith and be saved. Period. Does that make sense? Yeah. Which is why church kids are in danger. When they begin to harden their heart against God, I would rather they left the church completely. Because sitting under anointed preaching where the voice of the Holy Spirit is speaking loudly over and over again and continually turning and saying, I'm not listening to that, is you're ask, you are hardening your heart 
constantly over and over again to the point where there's going to come a day when you will not be able to hear him at all. That's what Jesus is saying here. Be careful. Does that make sense? It is a scary thing. It's a very scary thing. That's why elsewhere in the New Testament it says, if today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You can, you can scald your conscience so that you can no longer feel the reproach of the Holy Spirit. You can harden your heart to the place where you can no longer hear his voice. I think about Pharaoh, uh, the Pharaoh that was working against Moses. Okay, He's watching God do these incredible things, these unbelievable miracles in front of him. And every time, if you look at it in Scripture, the first couple times, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Then later on, it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. You see, there's this, there's this place where you get to where it's like knee-jerk. As soon as the Holy Spirit begins to move, begins to speak, you're like, I'm out. That's an interesting verse when, it come, when you start talking about predestination and stuff, too, to talk about. What do you mean God hardened his heart? Hmm, well... I don't know. What does it mean? I'm not giving an answer to that question. I'm just asking. Go and study. It'll be fun. Did I answer your question? I very much does. Thank you. Awesome. <clears throat> Any questions? Any other questions about this? I think if you're still asking that question, you're probably okay. <laughs> I mean, you think, you know, if you're worried about it at all, then you're not to the place where you can no longer feel it. Does that make sense? You know, if I, it's, you get to this place where you have no conscience left in regards to responding to the Holy Spirit, that is it. That's when, when you're no longer saying, oh no, I hope I'm not hardening my heart, then you're, that, you're, you're in trouble. You can honestly say, I don't care. I don't know. I maybe have met one or two people in my life that I think have gotten that far. Maybe. I would, I'm never going to be the one that said, well, you know him. He's, he's committed the unforgivable sin. He can't even hear the voice of the Lord anymore. But there are people that I have met and spoken to that I have said, I'm really worried that that's where they are. It does not keep me from speaking the truth to them. Does not keep me from praying for them. It does not keep me for hope from hoping that that's not the case. But you get that little doubt when you know the Holy Spirit is moving, and you watch them with everything inside of them reject what the Holy Spirit is doing in that moment. It's one of the most heart wrenching moments, especially in a pastor's life, when they're this close. You know it. and You know the Holy Spirit's working on them. It's all over their face that the Holy Spirit is shouting in their spirit and they still refuse to listen. I remember one guy in particular. We were in, this was a friend from high school and we were in a service and the Holy Spirit was 
con- the convicting power of the Holy Spirit was so strong in the room that I like, you know, I was ready to go up and lay on the floor and like give my life to Jesus again. Like that's where, that's where we were. Like, you know, I, I was fully saved. I was doing great. I was talking to God every single day, but I was still like, maybe I should go up and get saved. And I turned to my friend and I said, if you, I'll go up with you if you want. And he looks at me with anger on his face and says, no. And I, I mean, that, that shook me because I saw in that moment, this total rejection of the love of God was just like, I don't want this. He never came back to church with me ever after that. Um, Please, if you hear, just respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit whenever they happen. Just do it. You will regret it if you don't. Even if you're nowhere near, you know, this place and you're doing pretty good, but God whispers something into your heart and you're like, it's bad pizza and you just keep moving. Wouldn't you rather look like a fool and be obedient then be disobedient and never know what God wanted to do in that moment. I would rather run up to the altar and have everyone think that I am the worst sinner in the world than have, you know, than sit in my seat and not receive something God wanted to give me in that moment. I say that as a pastor that has, that when I'm in a service, people watch me. I want to stay soft. I want to stay open. I want to sit to stay in a place where the Holy Spirit can tell me anything and I'll do it immediately. That's why I kind of respect people like you know, like Smith Wigglesworth that'll punch somebody in the stomach, you know, when they're praying for him just bang because you know what? That takes guts. Might not be the right thing to do. I mean, it might not be <clears throat> but I want to believe that if I was that if I was praying for somebody and the Holy Spirit said punch him in the stomach, that I that I, that yes. I could do it, you know, that I would just be like, yes, Lord, bam, you know. I mean, you never know. You just don't know what what you know. God, God, you know. I think I've told you guys some of the weird things that God's had me do. I mean, I had I was praying for one guy and the Lord just told me to say octopus. <laughs> put my hand on his head and the Lord said say octopus I went no (laughs) I said I mean it say it right now so I'm like octopus (laughs) and the guy like crumbles and weeping and I'm like I have no idea what that was and I didn't get a chance to talk to him later like you know (laughs) I heard a story from Matt Redman where he was in a worship service and he was like, it was the worst set of his life. Like he said he had screwed up half the songs. He'd broken a string halfway through. Like there was just all these things that had gone wrong in this set. And then the Lord is telling him at the end, I want you to sing the Michael Jackson song, You Were Not Alone. And he's like, no. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) He's like, like, this has been the worst set of my life. And you want me to sing your, no, a Michael Jackson song. 
no way am I going to do that. But the Lord just kept after him. And so he's like, whatever. And so he just tried to figure out the chords and he's, and he sang just the chorus because that's all he knew. And, uh, and then he ended the set and like went backstage. He said, I threw my guitar in the case, slammed the case shut. You know, it was really bad, you know? And then this woman comes up to him afterwards with just tears, like pouring down her face. And she's like, how did you know? It's like, what? She said, I told God that if you didn't sing that song, that I was going to go home and kill myself. Boom, right? <laughs> and this woman was saved because, you know, God told him to do something that was really weird, but here it is. It's definitely a weird thing. But it's kind of cool. Like, you know, like, God does weird stuff like that for other people. Like, I just think it's really cool. I used to imagine that going to an altar as an unsaved person and be like, God, if you don't have some dude come up to me and lay his hand on me and say, Octopus, I will never be saved. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> what? What? If you don't have someone say you are not alone by Michael Jackson at this Matt Redmond concert, never gonna happen. That's fun. Yeah. I don't recommend this strategy, by the way. <laughs> no. Saying, God, if you don't make this happen, no, 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 no. If you know the Lord wants you to do something, just be obedient. At the same time, God loves people. And I have more than once been thinking or feeling something and never said anything to anyone. I remember one particular service where I was feeling very depressed and very alone and heartbroken. And I kept saying to the Lord in prayer that day, I just, I don't, I can't feel your love for me today. I just need to know that I know today that you love me. And that night I don't remember exactly what happened, but that night there was like three direct words to me from different people. Thus says the Lord, I adore you. You're the apple of my eye, whatever. It was just like over and over to the point the last person that came up to me was like, I have a word for you. I'm like, I already know what it is because I was <laughs> such a mess. And I just lay on the floor and wept because I was like, he knew exactly what I needed that day. And he went out of his way to give it to me. And I hadn't asked him to do that. I hadn't asked, I hadn't, I had, I had not said, send people my way to tell me this. I had just said, I, it, I'm not feeling, feeling this today and I feel so alone. And the Lord met me in my place of, you know. So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you for someone, go say it to them. You never know how pivotal a silly word like octopus might be in someone's life. You just don't know. And I always kind of weigh it against what's the worst thing that could possibly happen if I do say it. Right. <laughs> just have somebody look at me and go, what? Octopus? Are you kidding me? I was like, sorry. No, Must have been. No, what I said, but it's it's Greek for. Uh, <laughs> Trust him. When the Holy Spirit speaks, respond <clears throat> immediately. Some of the guy, one of the guys that I've seen this in action, 
and I have very I don't have a whole lot of respect for this man, but I I believe that he responds quickly when the Holy Spirit speaks. Is Benny Hinn? We were in a service. It was actually my first date with my wife, but we're not going to go there. We were in a Benny Hinn service. And say, oh, no, the first date is a Benny Hinn service. It was, yes. Well, it's a long story. But <laughs> <clears throat> we were there, and he's doing his thing, you know, praying for somebody, they fall down, pick him up! <laughs> Praise for him again, they fall down, pick him up! And then he turns around at one point and just smacks the guy. He was kind of a bigger guy. Smacks the guy in the stomach and he says, and take 80 pounds off this man, Lord. And then walks away. And I was like, that took some balls right there. <laughs> the man was like a linebacker. Like he was a professional football player. And here he is in front of like 5,000 people. Take 80 pounds off this man, Lord. Yeah. I was like, well, there you go. That's, that's, <laughs> It was like a very specific number. Take 66.3 pounds off this man. I don't know. 80 pounds seemed pretty specific. Where did you get that number, Benny? I don't know. There's that. Anybody? What else? Yeah. Like us, like someone in the past, but like, can you tell what, like, an encounter you've ever had with, like, when someone was, like, demonically oppressed or something like that? Okay. Like, like something happened. Like, I don't know why. I just want to hear something. Okay. She's fucking smiling, but I just want to hear about demonically oppressed. I want to hear about demonically oppressed. I don't know. I mean, I've had multiple, you know, different. Uh, moments with um, I mean my dad has had some unbelievably dramatic encounters with the demonic like beyond anything I've ever seen uh, you know a witch that came to his office with a gun in her purse to kill him and then she he cast like 20 demons out of her and she got saved you know stuff like that <laughs> I mean, things levitating and flying around his office I mean just in crazy stuff um, and I've never seen anything like that. Uh, I, I did get a call at like two o'clock in the morning a couple years ago. It was really late and I get a call and I answered the phone and I got, cause I thought it must be an emergency and I answered the phone and this person on the other line and the line says, I was told to call you. And I'm like, <laughs> by who? I don't know. <laughs> can you give me more information (laughs) and he says you know what I I didn't realize how late it was I will call you tomorrow and he just hangs up and I'm like okay and I just went back to bed (laughs) and it was like all right. so the next day I get a a phone call from that same number and um, we talked for a little while and it was this guy who was he was a brand new Christian just been saved maybe a month or two and um, <clears throat> before he got saved, he, uh, well, he, he called me because he was experiencing like poltergeist activity at his house. Like stuff was moving around, doors were slamming, just weird things were happening. And somebody, whoever they are, thank God, I'm so glad that they had him call me. I don't know. I said, who? He goes, I don't remember the name of the person that told me to call you. I was like, well, 
I want to thank them, quote unquote. <laughs> Not really. I don't. <laughs> but they had told him to call me because he's a spiritual warfare guy and, you know, he'll take care of it or whatever. So he calls me and I'm like, you know, he's talking to me about what's going on at his house. And I said, well, I, I mean, do you want me to come over? I can't come over right now, but I'll, you know, tomorrow or something. And uh, he goes, he goes, can you just, could you just pray for me? And so, you know, I prayed for him and whatever over the phone. And, and he's like, I, I feel better now. And I was like, great. I said, if you ever, if this, if this, if this doesn't take care of it, <laughs> call me, I'll come over and we'll clean the house, you know? And, uh, and so I was a couple several days later and I was gonna, I was getting out of the car to come in for Saturday night service. Um, we used to have a Saturday night service here for those of you that are new. And, uh, and I was getting out of the car. I led worship for that service almost every week. So I was on my way in the door and I get a phone call from this guy and he's like freaking out on the other end of the line. It's here right now. Help. And I was like, I got to go <laughs> inside. And I can't. I mean, I was late for practice as it was. You know, it was like there was no way I could call anybody or. And, and he's like, he's he's. He's like, I'm really freaked out. I was, well, can you come to the church? Blah, blah, blah. No, I have work. Finally, I said, all right, we're going to do this. And so I, I, I began, I, I said, the only way the, the demonic, even in, even in non-Christians, the demonic don't just show up randomly at people's houses. Okay. You have to open a door. You have to invite them in. Okay, it's like vampires. You know, you got to you got to invite them in, right? Um, you, they don't. Uh, there has to be permission for a demon or an evil spirit to influence your life. Now, that permission may not come in a form that you understand that you're giving permission. It might be there's there's ways that uh, like people that deal in the occult, especially in witchcraft or whatever, if they're trying to curse someone, they will give them a gift. If you accept the gift, you're giving permission. Um, things like that. Um, so uh, so if you're ever in a foreign country and someone tries to give you a gift, you need to listen to the Holy Spirit in that moment. Truly. I've never seen it happen in the United States, but I know of it happening in foreign countries multiple times, where they will like attach a demon to an object, which this is possible and, and give it to you <laughs> so that this thing can mess with your world. Um, but anyway, you, you have to give them permission. And it's especially true with a Christian, someone that belongs to the Lord, unless you open a door for demonic activity, they cannot be active in your life, in your house, in your world. And this guy was a brand new Christian. And I was like, talk to me about have you ever been involved in the occult? Blah, 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 blah. Well, they had had a seance in his house just like a couple weeks after he had first given his life to Christ. He didn't know that you shouldn't do that. And they had invited spirits to speak to them through the Ouija board. It had been a really freaky moment. 
there's some stuff that happened. Uh, he's like, plus I live right next to a cemetery. I was like, that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can understand why that would be spooky, okay? But still, so <clears throat> I said, okay, you belong to Jesus. You're already saved. So you have the authority right now to command this spirit to go, and it has to go because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are an ambassador of the authority of heaven on the earth. You can command it to go. You, you have to believe that you can command it to go because this operates by faith, but you do. He said, okay, okay. And so I said, I want you to repeat after me. And so I was leading him in a prayer, um, very similar. How many of you are familiar with Cleansing Stream? I know those of you that are, I'm sure you are. Um, <clears throat> But uh, it's very similar to some of this, to some of those, to some of the prayers that they would pray at a cleansing stream retreat, where we are canceling any agreement we've made with that spirit, we're closing the door, and we're saying you no longer have the permission to influence my life, and because we're Christ followers, we have that authority, and so I was leading him through that kind of prayer, and we got about. 10 seconds into the prayer and he's repeating after me and all of a sudden I'm, I hear him go and I was like what is going on and and so I began rebuking this demon over the phone you know let him go you know and and all of a sudden he's like breathing really heavy and I said I don't, I don't remember this guy's name I said is that you are you there and he was like it tried to kill me it tried to kill me this, this demon, as he was saying this prayer, had begun choking him so that he couldn't renounce the influence that it had in his home. But then we, after, after that, we were able to finish the prayer, and he was like, I can feel it. It is gone. Because I told him, I said, truth is, I could rebuke and this thing and, and remove it from your home right now through the authority that rests on me as a Christ follower. But as soon as my influence is gone from your world, that demon is going to come back seven times worse because he has permission to do so. Jesus talked about this. He said that if you cast a demon out of someone and then, you know, the, the thing will go. But if, if things aren't fixed in the meantime, if the door isn't closed, if the house isn't secured, that when that, that demon will come back and it will bring seven other stronger demons with him to create, you know, you know, kind of create a more powerful encampment in that person's life because they're, they, they have to obey, but in, if it's left unprotected, it's, they're just going to come right back. Does this make sense to everyone? Um, so if you are in that situation, Thankfully, this guy was free, and he is the one had he had closed the doors. I didn't do it; he did it. I told him how, and I told him, "Now, don't you ever bring a Ouija board back into your house again. Do not, in, don't do anything that might invite the influence of a of a demonic spirit." I said, "You make sure that door stays closed. To you know, the demonic activity is not allowed in your house." And so, you know. I, we we spoke for several months after that. I never got to meet this guy face to face ever. Um, it was always over the phone, which I don't really know why that was, but whatever. I'm fine with it. 
but um, but that's probably the most recent opportunity that I that I have had to go. But I'm ready. Ears pricked, ready for action. <clears throat> the town that I live in right now, Angola, Indiana, was founded by witches. Um, it was built in the initial, in the original town charter. They it was called Aton back then, which is a that's a demonic uh, name, um, and it was founded upon the principle that no Christian church would ever be allowed in their town. And people came from all over the country, all over the world, that were involved in the demonic and in the, and in the occult to this town because it was a safe place for that kind of activity. Um, there's a lot of churches there now. Uh, obviously things have changed. Uh, but the, the the main streets that cross in the center of Angola are named after those people. And uh, there are definitely some, there's an atmosphere in that place. We were, human beings, were given authority over the earth by God. And we can delegate that authority to heavenly beings. We do that. That's what that's what happens when you agree with demonic entities, when you stand in agreement with them. You hand over your authority, and they're able to come in and do basically whatever they want. Um, so please be careful. Please. Uh, even as Christians, we have the ability to do that. Thankfully, because of the blood of Jesus, we also have the ability to take it back. But you don't want to mess around. The devil only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he really does come to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can steal from you, he will. If he can kill you, he will. If he can destroy any part of your life, he will. He hates you. You, you need to understand that. We are in an actual battle with an enemy that is far stronger, far smarter, far more sophisticated, and has a lot more practice than you. The only reason we're able to win is because Jesus is on our side and he's better than that guy. But you against the devil, you lose big time. Thankfully, that's not true when Jesus against the devil. The devil loses big time when it's Jesus versus the devil. There's no competition. Jesus is just a... Like, is that good enough? <laughs> I every time I've dealt with the demonic there's this uh, this Holy Spirit like boldness that rises up in my heart to where it's like I kind of feel invincible like um, like that's right come on take me on like that's that's and, uh, and that's kind of fun. But I would never want to be... Jesus did not go looking for demons to cast out. In fact, demons came to him when he came into a region to oppose him or to beg him not to oppose them. If you look at the time when Jesus goes to, to the 
I forget what the name of the. Yes, Gadarene. Is that what it is? Jesus goes there, and there's a man with a thousand demons in him that comes running down and throws himself on the ground before Jesus and says, Please don't cast us into the. Please, please. He's begging Jesus not to mess with them because it's not their time, which is very interesting. But they recognized his authority. They recognized who he was, and they knew that if he wanted to, he could come in there and be like, you know, I, I'm casting you out into the desert, never to have any connection with any human ever again. And they were afraid of that. And so they begged him not to do it. They begged him not to accuse them before God, which is an interesting thought. Um, but there was this, we get this little glimpse of kind of the, the spiritual atmosphere in that moment. And Jesus says, shut up, you know, and then they have to, he says, what's your name? And they, they say, legion for we are many. That's how we know there was a thousand demons because it's how many soldiers are in a legion. And, and then Jesus casts the demons into the pigs because they asked to be cast into the pigs. The, he was going to cast them out of this man. And they said, can we go into the pigs? And he's like, go. And then the pigs all ran off into the ocean and died. <laughs> well, really, Jews should not have had a flock of pigs. Um, if you think about it. Um, although there were Greeks all around that probably ate pork. You know, I mean, the Romans would have. But Jews weren't supposed to farm pigs. That's, that's against the law. Well, you know, I find it interesting. It tells us a couple things about demons. Like apparently they want a corporeal existence. They, they, they desire to be connected to a physical thing. Because when he's going to cast them out of the man, they want to go to another body. They don't just want to like be off into the air or wherever Jesus was going to send them. Uh, so I don't know what that I don't know what that means. I mean, there's a lot of preachers that'll do a lot of reading into this kind of thing and be like, "Well, that obviously means don't do that. Don't don't do that. We don't know what it means. <laughs> Jesus knew what it meant, but we don't know what it means. And it's just an interesting encounter. And I, but he never like went looking. Where's a demon possessed person? I'm gonna go find a demon possessed person. That, he didn't do that. He waited. And in fact, de Jesus wouldn't even confront a demon-possessed person unless they manifested, which is something else we need to pay attention to. There are, there are Christian ministers that are kind of doing that. They're like hunting demons behind every bush. That is not, the, that is not what Jesus did. In fact, the Apostle Paul had this you know, demonic woman following him around town for a while, and he didn't do anything to stop her until it finally just became too much of a distraction and he turned around and cast a demon out of her. You know, he was going to leave her alone. So there's, we should not involve ourselves in the demonic, in the, well, I should say the, the spiritual, the angelic realm, unless I would say one, up the prompting of the Holy Spirit, obviously the Holy Spirit says so, do it. But two, unless it is manifesting itself against you in some way. You know, if it's obvious they're out if if they're coming after you, yeah, sure, do do battle. Now I break my own rule in that pretty often. Honestly. I love to walk into the earth magic store at the mall. 
and just be like, that's right, I'm here, get out. <laughs> is so cool, though. I do though. I love doing that. I love just like Holy Spirit, come with me, and I just walk in there. And I'm just like Jesus. The presence of the Lord is in this place with me. I love to go back to the back of the store and just be like any demonic entity in this in this store. Out. I love doing that. Just just picking a fight. I probably shouldn't do that though. <laughs> Well, I, I, I've gotten some pretty crazy looks, and I don't usually, I don't do it loudly, loudly. It's like under my breath. I do not believe that the demonic have the ability to read our minds. Um, I believe that it needs to be spoken audibly in order for them to hear it. Um, but uh, I don't know, since every once in a while I'd get offended that there is this bastion of demonic power in the, you know, in my region on both ends of Angola, there is a psychic. And I, every time I drive by, I say, may no one ever go in there. May the demons be confused. May them give terrible advice. I'm hoping to see them close down. Um, just want to send some spiritual static over there so that they can't. I love to do that, like a Three Rivers Festival, just stand across from the fortune teller's booth and speak in tongues. <laughs> just watch. <laughs> there was a psychic like down the street from my church, like two houses down, um, like the church I grew up in. And one day we had a prayer meeting, and like we were like praying against the psychic, and like a week later their house burned down. Oh man! <laughs> wow, I'm giving. <laughs> Yikes! Or it was their garage. I don't think it was their house. It was their <laughs> garage. But, like, that's where, like, they, like, they, like, stuff happened in the garage. Fascinating. Yeah. I did, uh, thinking of, like, the choking, I did um, uh, encounter a demon in my sleep one time. Or, I honestly thought it was the devil. I don't know. I just thought it was. Um, uh, it was a three-layer dream. It was, like, some inception crap. But, <laughs> Um, uh, first time uh, that he showed up and manifested, um, uh, I found out what all this meant later and stuff. Because I did get, end up giving permission, so it's totally true, because it was through a relationship I had with someone who I immediately found out afterwards that was into Wicca and stuff, which was, like, some time Anyways, yeah. first manifestation, he tried to, like, stab me, but then I woke up into the next level of the dream, and the second one, he manifested himself in my room standing there and then I like terrified but I am uh, took my authority I said I know the authority I have over you therefore in the name of Jesus Christ I rebuke you and as I was doing that he lunged forward to choke me but then like after I said in the name of Jesus he yeah. stopped and yeah. screamed and left and I woke up and about cried and fasted and prayed and stuff <laughs> <laughs> situation but yeah <laughs> so. yeah my uh <clears throat> My first encounter with anything like that was when I was in youth group. I was about, I think, I just <gasps> finished high school. And I so I was like a newly minted youth leader in, in the youth group. I'd kind of just been like, you know, dubbed thou art a youth leader now. It was the <laughs> summer before Master's Commission. And, I mean, like two days after I had, you know, my youth pastor had said, I want you on the youth leader team. And so he 
was giving an altar call, and um, he asked the youth leaders to come down and to stand at the altars and pray for people, which was my favorite place to be, uh, was praying for people. I did that way before I was ever a youth leader. But anyway, so I'm standing there, and um, this young man comes up to the person next to me. And as that youth leader begins to pray for this young man, he fell on the ground and began manifesting, demon. And, uh, uh, you know, growling and, you know, just, you know, frothing at the mouth. And, uh, and my youth pastor, who used to deal with this kind of stuff all the time. I mean, demon-possessed people would hunt him down. It was just, that's just the way it was. He just always had, there was always spiritual crazy stuff going on with him. But anyway, so, plus we were in the middle of renewal, and we used to have demon-possessed people show up at the church all the time, which is, uh, they would just, there was crazy spiritual stuff going on, and they would show up and try and mess with stuff and, you know, they would just get shut down. But anyway, so my youth pastor looks at me and says, can you take care of this? And then just keeps going on. And I'm like, but I, but I, I don't. And <laughs> so one of the other more elder youth leaders, he wasn't old, but um, says, come on, let's do this. And so we pick this kid up and carry him out. Um, because he was being huge distraction, like loud and whatever. So we, we picked him up, we walked him out. And it's as I was leaving the sanctuary that fear turned into this crazy, like maniacal boldness. Like I started laughing. Like I was like, ha, 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 ha. Like, we're going to do this, you know, <laughs> I was so excited. Like, that's right. We're going to cast a demon out. Right. So we went into this other room and there was three or four of us and uh demon came out like, really fast. I mean, it was just like, shut up. It's like, <laughs> and we asked the young man if he wanted to be free. And he was like, please. This thing had been tormenting him. And that's why he had come to the altar. He wanted, he wanted to be set free and he didn't know how. And so we cast the demon out. I mean, it went like, boom. And then we led this young man to Christ. And then we said, now you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he goes, I want whatever God has. And like a fraction of a second later, he was just speaking in tongues. Just <laughs> it was like, well, that was easy. Next. <laughs> so it was awesome. But from that point forward, like I was just like, oh, I can handle this demon stuff. Let's do it. You know, Jesus has, there's nothing to be afraid of when we're confronting demonic activity, we have the Lord on our side. And like the, you know, the movie stuff where it's like, no, I'm not dying, you know, all that stuff. That's all, it's, that's silliness. When confronted with the authority of Jesus, there's no, there's no contest. And, and we have to have faith in that. The more faith we have, the more authority we have. So. You know how short those movies would be? <laughs> you know, the exorcist is ridiculous. If somebody had walked in there with a with with real authority, it would have been over. I mean, just it would have been over immediately. Would just would have been like, no, shut up, get out. Yeah. Real quickly about that relationship too. I knew I had to break ties with that person. Yeah. But um, uh, what was amazing though is like, cause the whole reason I even had a relationship with this person was to try to like 
lead them to Christ and sure. stuff because they were coming to church and everything, but they were like still weren't quite getting it and everything. So I was just kind of like being a friend, being there for them, and I'd walk with them to school every day to talk to, or walk with them from school to home every day to talk with them about the Lord and stuff. And then um, after that, you know, I had some discernment and I found I need to break ties with that relationship. Well, it's cool. Right before I came to Masters, that person contacted me and told me how they gave their life to Christ. So yeah, I was like super pumped because I didn't expect that. I think that's also. You know, I think it's a huge testimony, but even more so, like, it probably, you know, it might not have worked out that way, though, had I, like, continued to pursue that. But, like, no, God, they really need my help, and, you know, now, like, tried to get more involved. So, I just thought that was really neat. Trust the Holy Spirit's leadership. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Even when... Sure. <laughs> even when we don't. Yeah. I was going to say, I've dealt with, like, sleep paralysis and stuff. Yeah. And, like, I've seen some pretty messed up things when I sleep not fun. No. Is that something you still deal with? No. I dealt with it like middle of my senior year, but I, I got together with uh, my friend's mom. It's like really spiritual, so I got together with her and we just prayed over it and just got together about it. Good. Good. No, it's not fun. Anybody else? like had a similar like none of them were really Christians and like we just had like a conversation about like things that they had like experienced and stuff and I'm just sitting there like well none of this has really happened to me and they're all like well it's probably because you have a lot of faith and I'm just sitting there like I do <laughs> like what <laughs> I'm telling all these crazy stories and like my eighth grade year I lived with one of my friends for like two months um and like she went through all of this stuff that I didn't even know about and like we slept in the same room and like I didn't go through any of this and like she's probably like one of the most honest people I know like the most kind and everything and like just hearing that from her was like what <laughs> I would have never like thought that and like I knew she wasn't a Christian and like that's just crazy how yes having Jesus versus not having Jesus absolute you are not touchable by the enemy. You know, he's he's your holy ground and he's not going to come after you. The only way that he could <clears throat> now I got is when we put ourselves in in confrontation with him. Now <clears throat> I have to say, since I moved to Angola, there are days when I wake up and I sense that the there there is you know an atmosphere over my region and I have to battle through it. Like really fight through it for a while because where there is authority given to, you know, any spirit other than God's spirit, they, they, it, it is a, it, you know, they, it blocks the free movement of the grace of God. And so we have authority to fight against it. But there is this, you know, it, it can be an uphill battle when there's more people giving permission than there are people taking permission back. Does that make sense? That's why demonic activity is so much more prevalent in, in, in places where there are larger groups of people that believe in and agree with demonic activity. When I was in Mexico City this last time, 
one of the days I woke up and I felt terrible. It didn't connect with me that that I, I knew that this was not a physical thing. I wasn't sick. There was something going on, and, but it, it never clicked with me that this was probably a uh, a spiritual atmosphere that I was sensing. That it was, you know, I just thought, boy, I, I'm, I must be tired or something. I'm really grumpy and I can't really break through the presence of the Lord. And when I went to teach the class, I'd been teaching this class all week, and there had been unbelievable moments where the power of the Holy Spirit just like slammed into the room in crazy ways. And this morning was just a fight the whole morning. It was just like, that was like I was swimming upstream. It's like, what is going on this morning? And <clears throat> there was this intercessor guy who was at the uh, in town at the same time. And he said to the, to the director there in Mexico City, he was more clued in to what was going on. Because he was like, there was a, the city is a mess. The atmosphere of the city it's a mess today. He's like, I don't know what's going on, but there is something happening that where there is just an increased demonic presence. There is there is a shadow over this place. It just feels tumultuous. And uh, so me and one of the students decided to go on a prayer walk that day. <laughs> we started walking down the main like plaza there in Mexico City. And... Um, it, it was, we're trying to be conscious of what's going on in the, in the spirit. And, um, it was just ugly. It was just gross. And the closer we got to the national cathedral in the center of Mexico city, the darker and the uglier it got. And it was just like, man, what is going on? And we get down to the national cathedral and I wanted to go in. I wanted to see some stuff in there. Um, but the National Cathedral in Mexico City is built over a, uh, a pagan temple, the central temple of that, is it the Aztecs in Mexico? Of, of, the, of the Aztec pagan world was built, was right there. It was torn down and they built the Catholic Cathedral right over it. And I mean, this is a place where Generations of human sacrifice had gone on. And um, inside this cathedral is a gigantic painting called The Marriage of the Church. And it's not the, it's not the wedding of Jesus and his bride. It's the wedding of the Catholic Church to the Aztec religion that's portrayed on the wall. And uh, so... We, we walked like four steps into the National Cathedral and I had to leave. Like I was getting physically ill. I was just, I am not okay. I, we've got to go right now. So we walked out. And as we walked out, we hear these crazy drums like around the corner. And I said to the, to the person that was with me, I said, why don't we, let's go see what that is. And we, we went to walk and we started, we go, started going around the corner and it was like a physical just like fog that just landed on us as we kind of come around the corner. And I just still don't know uh, what was going on there. Somebody said that they thought they had read something in the paper about uh, some kind of ancient Aztec celebration that was, that was being done that day. Um, 
And that's probably what that was, which would make total sense that this worship of a pagan god was happening in the center of this city with the approval of the city. You know what I mean? I mean, talk about permission being given to, to the demonic realm. Well, we came around the corner and that just like enveloped us and both of us like started gagging like we were going to throw up. So we ended up saying, we got to get out of here. So we just turned around and walked the other way. But it was like, it was this visceral, physical experience, and unlike anything I've ever had in the United States. And I've been to some pretty dark places in the United States, but I've never sensed anything like that. So you got to understand, the invisible world is all around us all the time. There are angels and demons in battle over our heads every moment. The war is won, but the battle is still going on. Final victory is assured, but there is, there, we're still mopping up, you know, the, the enemy forces. They're still out there and they're still fighting and they're going to do as much damage as they can on their way out. I mean, that's just how it's going to be. That's what the end times is all about. The end times is the final time where Jesus is going to, he's already won the war. It's done, but he's going to come in and he is doing Complete and total regime change where he is releasing the kingdom of heaven fully onto the planet and saying, no, you know what? The, the authority that the enemy has as the God of this age is being revoked. And the enemy is going to fight every inch of the way, which is why those last seven years are going to be so terrible. Because he's not going to give ground. We're going to see manifestations of demonic power unlike anything in the history of the world. The book of Revelation tells us that. The, uh, the false prophet is going to be able to call fire down from the sky, folks. I mean, this is, we're talking about miracles, demonic miracles, unlike anything we've ever thought possible. And the world will worship the Antichrist. The beauty part is that the church that is here on the earth at that time, whether or not you believe that we are going to be raptured before this all happens, there will be Christians on the earth during the tribulation. That's clear in the book of Revelation. It's clear in Daniel that there will be believers on the planet during that time. I believe that Nobody's getting taken off the earth until the until Jesus' second coming. <clears throat> That's my interpretation of scripture. But even if the rapture happens before the tribulation, there will be people getting saved during the tribulation. And there will be a church, and it will not just be a wimpy little church that's running and hiding in the in the cracks. I believe it will be the greatest revival in the history of mankind taking place at the same time that the greatest uprising of demonic power in the history of mankind is happening. Yes? Okay, so, like, what about, like, if they make space stations and stuff and the people living in space didn't work? Does God just, like, wipe that out of the, out of the space? Why would he do that? I'm just saying, like, I mean, because then Christians could just go up to the space station and escape all that stuff going down on the Earth. Like, God would really just be like, oh, you're safe. Don't worry. Well, I don't know what you mean. Like, like, like. There's gonna like churches are gonna build like, like Christian space stations. Like, safe for this church. Boom. Well, because people are talking about like in heaven, like they're gonna be like, oh, 
Yeah, sure, fine. I don't. I don't see what. Yeah. I I don't have any problem believing that wherever humans are, the same kind of process is going to be taking place. Uh, you know, I, I, if the truth is, I, I was reading a book the other day about how you know about how disconnected Christians are with our past. Modern day Christians don't understand church history at all. Don't understand that there have been people in every generation since Christ who have been passionate pursuers of the beautiful God, Christ Jesus, who have, in some cases, had much deeper revelation of who he is than we do now. You know, that, 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 that we aren't better than all the generations of Christianity that have gone before us. In many ways, we're poorer than some of, them, than some of those generations. And, and he was saying, and then he's made this comment, and we may still be the early church. And I was like, what? He said, we don't know when Jesus is coming. It may be 10,000 more years. There may be people that look back on this day and talk about the early days of Christianity. So, That's so weird to think about. <laughs> yeah, that is really weird to think about. Oh. We don't know. That's the point. Jesus told us we don't know, which is why we have to watch all the time. Now, does that mean that we're, uh, who knows when Jesus is coming again? We don't. But no matter what happens, no matter if humanity spread, boils off the earth and spreads into the galaxy all over the place, Jesus is still Jesus and his promise is still his promise. And I'm not worried about it. So space so stations, Mars, of. doesn't matter. God's, God's... Like humanity spread across the galaxy... And then, yeah, Star Wars happens, but there's Christianity involved. Ah! <laughs> I'm dreaming now. I want to be an angel during that time. I'm a, I'm a Christian Jedi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. Why not? Yeah. I, I know we won't like we don't know the time, but do you think once those last seven years are happening of the of the whole um, in time, we'll, you think we'll know like the whole seven start of that seven years? We have clues. Okay, there is one. There is one moment. Okay, one moment that has been prophesied both by Daniel and by Jesus and by the Book of Revelation. Okay, one moment that is very clear, and we have, there are twelve hundred and sixty days after that moment before the return of Christ. So you'll be able to start your watch when. The abomination which causes desolation takes place. And that is going to happen when an image of Antichrist is set up in the temple in Jerusalem. So there has to be a temple in Jerusalem first, and there isn't right now. But when an image of Antichrist is set up in the temple in Jerusalem and all the earth is commanded to worship Antichrist, from that day, there are 1260 days. We know that. The Bible is very clear. That the Antichrist rule will end 1260 days after that moment. And according to the book of Revelation and other, other places, the end of the rule of Antichrist is the return of Jesus to the earth. So will we know? I don't know that we'll know when it begins. Because that's a lot more uh, 
Daniel says it begins with the signing of a treaty, which Daniel refers to as the treaty with death. It's, it says he will affirm a treaty with many. It's a seven-year treaty. It involves peace for Israel. I believe it will also involve the promise that Israel will be able to build a Jewish temple in Jerusalem. I think that's the only way a Jewish temple is going to be built in Jerusalem, as if it's a part of the program. But think about this for just a minute. Because right now, all the nations around Israel despise Israel. They want to just, they want to push her into the sea, okay? They want to wipe the Jews off the planet. Okay, so imagine that things get really hot, even hotter than they are now, and they begin to involve other nations in the world. We know Iran and Russia will be involved. We, you know, we know that Egypt will be involved. There's going to be all these other nations that are involved in an attack on Israel or a, a possible attack. There may not be any fighting, but it is going to come to a heated point. And in the middle of that steps a man who may or may not have been well-known before that, who brokers a deal between all those nations and Israel that promises peace in Israel for the next seven years. And, you know, World War III is about to break out, and this man short-circuits World War III and saves the world from itself again. Can you imagine how respected that man would be? Imagine how beloved that man will be. He will gain absolutely massive, we love him. There's a quote from the former general secretary of the United Nations that says, the world is looking for a man who will bring us peace. Be he God or devil, we will find him. Is that a creepy thing? It's like, yeah. Okay, oh. <laughs> right? It scares you, doesn't it? It scares me because... The United Nations kind of sketchy in the <laughs> No kidding, okay? Euro dollars, glory to Trump. All right, so you can imagine the political clout that that person will have who can broker that deal. And that deal will, lead, will be the, the beginning of the seven years because it's a seven-year treaty. Halfway through that seven-year treaty, the man who brokered the deal will break the deal and command that he be worshipped as a god. Now, this is how I think it's going to happen. I think he's going to broker the deal. There's going to be some people that begin to join into this connection that these nations have. That It's going to give the UN more power than it's ever had. Maybe not the UN, maybe some other, you know, international uh, group that there's going to be this sweeping revolution all over the earth where those people that are religious are going to be looked on as a threat and they're going to begin to put their hope and their trust in this man. And in the middle of all that, the man will be assassinated and the world will mourn him until he rises from the dead in full view of the planet, and people will see him. I believe it will be at his funeral, which will be held on the steps of his greatest achievement, the Jerusalem temple. He will rise from the dead in front of everyone, called back from the dead by the false prophet, by the way, which we don't know who that's going to be, but my guess is it'll be the Pope. 
to be honest. I hope it's not this pope because I really like him, but <laughs> but I think it'll be the pope. That's and he will rise from the dead. He will proclaim himself Messiah. Say anyone that follows any false messiahs, anyone else other than me should be killed. Then he will set up an image of himself in the restored Holy of Holies, command that he be worshipped, command that mankind take his mark in their hand or in their forehead, unify the currency for the entire world. 1260 days later, Jesus comes and squashes this little uprising by melting the army of Antichrist with the brightness of his appearing. I think that's pretty pretty exciting. Sorry, I, I just have a little sense of humor when it comes to God. So I think, you know, the brightness of God appearing, Ian McKellen, God appears in Absolutely, here. yeah. <laughs> well, he <laughs> will be on a horse. I mean, there uh, there is a reason. Okay, let's be let's be honest. Do you think Peter Jackson was not aware of that imagery? Do you think that he wasn't purposefully using that imagery? Let me tell you something. Tolkien was purposefully using that imagery. Oh, in three days, the resurrected one will return and defeat the enemy and set us free. But that sounds like somebody. <laughs> oh. I don't oh. Riding from up top, yes. high, at the sunset. On the third day, the look to the light. sunrise. Okay. There's, there's so many pictures of Jesus in the Lord of the Rings. It's not even funny. We could take an entire class just to kind of ferret those out because because Gandalf is a picture of Jesus Aragorn is a picture of Jesus and Frodo is a picture of Jesus but there are three different pictures of of Jesus well Frodo is the suffering servant who has to die to save his people from their sins Gandalf is the 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 the, the high priest you know who has died and has risen from the dead to defeat the enemy at the end of the age. And uh, Aragorn is the returning king, long promised, entering back into his kingdom with healing in his hands. Okay, so that it's... Because if you would never believe it if it was all one guy, you'd be like, that's no, that's hard to believe. <laughs> and also it would have just been too... Too obvious. So, all right, Father, I thank you for my friends and for this day, and uh, just the opportunity to chat a little bit. We love you. <clears throat> Amen.